Tonight, um, I want to share with you all on why you should build your life on the Bible. Now, many of you have seen me before and met me, but some of you maybe not. So my name is Andrew Stroud, and my family and I have lived here in San Diego for a little over 10 years now. Um, we've been connected. Well, I, I was on staff with the Navigators when we moved here, and then we've been connected with the community here um, over the past 10 years. So it's a real privilege to be with you guys here tonight, and it's always a privilege to share from the scriptures. And tonight, especially, we're going to be talking about the scriptures and why they're so important. And again, I'm going to hopefully move you towards having a deeper commitment to building on the Bible, why that's so important. But maybe just to get us started, if I could get a show of hands, how many of you have read through the Bible from cover to cover at least one time, from Genesis to Revelation? Go ahead and raise your hands if you've read it one time. All right, keep your hands up if you've done that. Now, how many of you have read through the Bible two times? Keep your hands up. Three times. What's that? Yeah, cover to cover. Four times. Five. Six. Seven. All right, so Nate has read more than seven, however many that is. Um, the man who discipled me is closing in on his 60th time uh, through the Bible. Now he's in his mid-70s, so he's had some years. But still, if you, if you do the math, that's an ongoing yearly commitment, day in and day out, to spend time in the scriptures. And I think that's a worthy pursuit. So besides Luke, if the rest of you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul was traveling and he was actually in the city of Athens, very famous Greek city. Some might say the cradle of philosophy, at least Greek philosophy. It's had a huge influence all the way down to our present time. And here, Paul is in Athens, and he's talking to the people, and he's trying to persuade them that God exists, a personal God that, that they could get to know, not just an impersonal idea, which was sort of what Greek philosophy was built on, was that there was this impersonal logos or force that was behind the world that we could see. God was trying to convince them that, Paul was trying to convince them that, no, God isn't what you think he is, and he wants you to get to know him. So let's look at verses 26 and uh, 27. Let me find those real quick. Paul has this to say. From one man, God made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
And so, why did God create this world, and why did God create people in it? Well, here, Paul says that he did it because he wanted us to find him, to seek him, right? That's what he says. He did this so that they might seek him, and perhaps they might reach out and find him. So when you think about God and this world and your life, it's the same for us today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul was talking to these Greeks in Athens. God is real, and he wants you to seek him, and he's hoping that you'll find him. All right, so that's kind of a starting point for us tonight. But how you seek God matters. In Jeremiah, who was an Old Testament prophet, he had this to say in Jeremiah 29, 13. Speaking from God, he said, you will seek me and find me, what? When you search for me with your whole heart. So God wants us to seek him. He wants to be found by us. But the way we go about seeking him matters. If you seek him and search for him with all your heart, you will find him which is a great promise. But it also suggests that you could casually seek for God and perhaps miss him. And I think a lot of people in life today, they believe that God is out there. They believe in a personal God. They're not really aggressively trying to seek him. They believe in him. Maybe they think they have a basic understanding of him, but he's not really high on their priority list to really seek and get to know. But how you seek God matters. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Okay, so God wants us to seek him. He wants us to find him. How we search for him matters. And then Luke, if you would read Jesus' words from Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. All right, so now there's a, a new layer that Jesus is introducing into this whole idea that we've been talking about of finding God, seeking for God. Here, Jesus says, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. All right, so you see what he's saying there? So is it possible that you could be seeking for God and seeking for him with all your heart and still not find him? What do you guys think? Yes. And why? Right. And so Jesus says that we need to be seeking for him, and he, he still has to reveal God to us. So there's almost two sides of this coin. 
We need to be seeking for God, but we still need Him to reveal Himself to us. And this is, this is a really big deal. So to recap this first little part, God wants us to seek Him with all our heart, but God still has to reveal Himself if we're going to come to know Him. And all of that should communicate to us that this is important that we take it serious. It's not something that's just going to accidentally happen. We need to be seeking God, and He needs to be revealing Himself if we're going to come to know Him. Now, the good news for us is that God has done His part. God has gone out of His way to reveal Himself to us, and we need to look in the right places. So this idea of revelation, that, that's a word that I want you to, to hang on to tonight. Revelation. I'm not talking about the last book of the Bible, but the act of God choosing to make himself known. Because if he had not done that, then no matter how well-intentioned we might be, we would not come to know God. We need him to reveal himself to us. And God has done that. Now, God has revealed himself in, in two basic ways. The first is what is often called general re revelation, okay? And that is through the creation, um, through your conscience. Um, you can read about this in Romans chapter 1. General revelation is available to everyone. As you're walking around, you can learn things about God just from the way that the world is set up and the fact that he's made you in his image and he's given you a mind and a spirit but there's only so much you can know about God by revelation. In Romans chapter 1, when, when Paul talks about this, he says that we can know his power and his nature. Those are the two things that we can discover about God. Whoever's responsible for this creation was very powerful. <laughs> um, and we can learn cer certain things about his character. He's a God of order. Things work. Every morning the sun rises. And We've got it to the point where you can pull it up on your weather app. You can find out what time the sun is going to rise tomorrow, like to the minute. That's because God is a God of order. He's also a God of creativity and beauty. There's so much that we can learn about God just by observing creation. That's general revelation. Now, one way to think about this is if you, if you went into an empty house that had been vacated, the, the people who lived there had left, but they had left it the way that they normally leave it. You could learn a lot about the people that lived there, right? Just by looking around, snooping. Um, you could see what kind of food they ate. Uh, you could see what their values were in terms of the types of objects that they had in the house. You could find out, are they messy, are they tidy? Are they dirty? Are they clean? There's a lot that you could find about these people, but you wouldn't get to know them. And that's the limits of, of general revelation, that you can know that God is there, and you can find out some basic details about him, but that's about it. So God went beyond that. He didn't just give us general revelation. He gave us what's called special revelation. And this is where God actually gives us specifics about who he is, the things that are in this book, on your own. Impossible. So you have to have this book if you're going to figure out the things that are in the book. Does that make sense? 
without the book, you won't figure out, you won't figure God out. That's why he had to give us the book, the, the special revelation, and specifically Jesus himself. There would be things that we would miss or not understand about God if he had not gone beyond just creation, beyond just our rational brains. If he had not revealed himself, then we wouldn't know him the way he wants us to know him. Now, I want to give a couple of, of caveats at this point. And the first is, God has revealed himself, but he has not told us everything. All right? So there are questions you might have about God and his plan, the world, why it works the way it works. There are questions that you might have that God has not answered yet. Okay? So that's important. Sometimes people ask questions about God, and, you know, they're asking an unanswerable question. We don't have that answer because God hasn't revealed that answer. And the way I would explain this is, if you were working on a puzzle, and let's say it was a 500-piece puzzle, but the problem is it was missing 30 pieces, okay? You would begin to put that puzzle together, and pretty soon you would have all the pieces put together that you could. And you would realize, man, there's some missing pieces here. But would you be able to tell what the puzzle was a picture of? Yes, probably so. Like you would have a very good idea of what was supposed to be represented in that picture, in that puzzle. And that's how I think of what God has revealed. He hasn't answered all of our questions, but he's given us more than enough to figure out who he is, what he's doing, and what he wants from our lives. But you have to put the pieces that you do have, you have to put them together. As long as they just stay in a pile on the table, you may have it. You may, you may have all the pieces that, that God wanted to give you, but they're not going to make sense to you. You're not going to know what it is that God is trying to communicate. So that's one caveat. God reveals himself, but he hasn't given us all the answers, and that's okay, because he's given us enough. He's given us what he wants us to have. And a second caveat is that God's revelation is progressive. Let me read for you Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. And again, this is, this is a great verse to jot down and uh, revisit from time to time. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. It says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. There's a reason why the gentleman who discipled me keeps reading the Bible, because each time he understands God better, the light gets a little brighter. And sometimes we think that God's revelation is like a light switch. You just throw it on, boom, you know everything that God wants you to know about him. But that's foolishness. That's, that's not the way God's revelation works. Uh, I've talked to so many people over the years, and I've asked them, would you like to read the Bible? Would you like to get to know it better? Oh, I've read the Bible. I don't, I don't need to read it anymore. And they don't understand this point, that God is going to be revealing himself more and more. Now, that's true for history. We can understand God better than Abraham could, because God has revealed more of himself throughout history. Um, 
But it's also true in our personal lives, that the more time you spend seeking God in the scriptures, the better you're going to get to know him. Okay, so let me just try to summarize a few things. First, you must dedicate your life to seeking God in the scriptures with a focus on Jesus. So if there's like one point that I hope you'll take away from this is that you should dedicate your life to seeking God in the scriptures with a focus on Jesus because Jesus is in the scriptures and he's the full and final revelation of God. Dedicate your life to seeking God in the scripture. That's how you're going to find him. If you don't do that, if you don't dedicate your life to seeking God in the scriptures, you will not understand God. I, I can say that confidently. You won't understand God. You might think that you do, but you will not understand God if you don't seek him in the scriptures. You won't see the world the way that God wants you to see it. And you won't live the way that he wants you to live. So it all starts with being willing to dedicate your life to seeking God in the scripture. If you don't do that, you will be functionally lost. Even if you're technically saved. You see what I'm saying? And maybe you won't be saved. I don't know. I, I, I don't know who is and who isn't a person of faith. But I do know that if you don't seek God through the scriptures, you'll be functionally lost. You won't really understand God. You won't see the world the way he sees it. You won't live the way he wants you to live. Therefore, in terms of your day in and day out living, you're going to be lost, kind of stumbling your way through life. All right. Recently, a group called Ligonier, I think that's how you say it, say it um, in partnership with Lifeway Research, Every two years, they do a study where they try to get a, a sense of the pulse of the church. And they write a report that they call the state of theology. And it recently came out. Every two years, the, the most recent one just came out. And it said, it found that evangelicals are increasingly muddy on core truths, the truths that have always been held to by Christianity. Now, evangelicals, some of you have probably heard that word let me just explain the way they describe someone who is an evangelical Christian. First of all, evangelical Christian is someone who holds that the Bible is the highest authority for what someone believes. So an evangelical believes that. Secondly, they believe that it's important to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Third, that Jesus' death on the cross is the only sacrifice that removes the penalty of sin. And fourth, that only those who trust Jesus receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So that's, that's pretty basic stuff, right? Um, the Bible is the highest authority. Um, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. Jesus' death is what pays for sin. And only those who trust him have salvation. Okay. But from there, it kind of goes downhill in terms of uh, what they actually believe. So nearly half of evangelicals agreed that God learns and adapts 
to different circumstances. Now, that's much different than a God who knows everything and doesn't change. If God has to learn and adapt, then he doesn't know everything and he doesn't change. But that's what the Bible teaches. Almost half of evangelicals don't believe that. 65% of evangelicals agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. But the Bible teaches us that we're all born in sin because we're descended from Adam. 56% of evangelicals agreed with the idea that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, in contrast to Jesus' words that no one knows the Father except me. Over half of evangelicals agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions. And then maybe the most stunning has to do with Jesus Christ's divinity. When asked if they agreed that Jesus was a great teacher but not God, 43% of American evangelicals answered yes. So 43% of American evangelicals agree that Jesus was a good teacher but not God. Now, that's kind of crazy, right? Especially since 95% agree that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. So can you see the problem? The problem is they either don't know what the Bible teaches or they don't care enough to learn. So they believe that this book is God's word, but they don't know what's in this book. And therefore, when you start asking them more detailed questions, they come up with some, some pretty non-biblical answers. And all of us can, all of us will come up with some crazy answers <laughs> unless we know what's in this book. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up with four questions that you need to answer about the Bible. Four questions. Should you trust that this book is worth building your life on? First of all, where, you need to answer where did the Bible come from? What's the source? And the Bible claims that it comes from God himself. That's why it's described as the word of God. So the Bible has authority because of where it came from. It came from God himself. The second question you need to answer is, is what's in the Bible what should be? Did the right books make it in? And this is going to be another um, Accusation from those who don't believe you should build your life on the Bible. So you need to understand, why are these 66 books in the Bible? Genesis through Revelation, and not other books. And if you haven't, you'll soon hear about the lost books of the Bible. Books like the Gospel of Thomas. And the claims will be that these are recently discovered books that were kept out of the Bible. But there's a whole history about this. Like, we've known about those books since the beginning. They're not mysterious. There's a reason why they're not in the Bible, and you should know. Like, why are these books in the Bible? The third question is, has the Bible been tampered with over the years? The, the Bible is thousands of years old. Have people changed what God meant to be in there? Have they, have they added things? Have they taken things out? So is the Bible historically reliable? You should study that and you should know the answer. 
And the fourth question is, does the Bible contradict itself? Are there contradictions within the, like even if we have everything, if it came from God, if the right books got in there, no one messed with it, but it contradicts itself, how can you build your life on it? All right, so those are four questions that you need to answer. Where did the Bible come from? Are the right books in it? Has it been tampered with? Does it contradict itself? If you're going to build your life on this book, then you should know how we got the book and whether or not it's trustworthy. And the short answer is, it is. But you should know why. Why are those questions answered in a way that would make you want to build your life on it? All right, so here are a couple of things that I hope you'll do going from tonight. First, let me say the main job of every Christian is to explore, to explain, and to obey what God has revealed about himself. Your main job, if you're a Christian, is to explore what God has said about himself, be able to explain it to someone else, and obey it, live by it. That's your main job. If you do that for the rest of the time that God gives you on earth, it'll be a life well lived. And you'll be building your life on the Bible. Two things that you can do. One is to study what's in the Bible. Become a subject matter expert. Dedicate your life to seeking God in this book, and especially by focusing on Jesus. So learn what's in here, right? But secondly, study the Bible's formation and its history. How did it get put together? There, there's, a, there's a human history that you can learn about how these books became the Bible. And it's important to know that because if you're building your whole life on this book and then someone begins to say, well, it didn't come from God or it doesn't have the right books in it or it doesn't have all the books in it or people have tampered with it and you have no answer to that, that's kind of that's silly, right? I mean, if you're building your whole life on this book, you should know, like, where did this book come from? Is it worth trusting. So study the Bible's formation and history and learn why you, why you believe the Bible is trustworthy. And I was going to share more, but I'm trying to keep this like 20 minutes, maybe 25. Uh, so maybe I'll come back. I will say that we do have a resource if you want to go further in learning the history of the Bible. It's at our website, endoftheharvest.org. And it's called Intro to the Bible, or I think they post this on the, um, the Facebook group for the San Diego NABs. Maybe we can put that link. Um, and, and you can quickly run through these questions, these four questions that we were talking about, and get confidence that the Bible is trustworthy. It did come from God. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up there. I don't know, uh, Nate, do you want to, uh, you want me to turn it back over to you, or... Time for some questions. How long do you want to do for questions? Because I know you guys have small groups. Okay. Well, are there any questions about um, what we were talking about tonight?
Yes. Where do you, where would you recommend drawing the line between having to have concrete evidence and then there's also faith? Mm -hmm. Because I think yeah. faith is also based on concrete evidence. Right. But yeah. Who knows uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Does anyone know that verse? Yeah? Yeah. Say, say it one more time. Right. So faith is rooted in evidence, but it also has to do with confidence. All right? So I have faith that my wife loves me. Now... I don't know if I could say I have concrete proof. I mean, I have things that I could point to. I, can, I have like um, data points that I could point to and say, I know my wife loves me. I have faith. I have confidence that she loves me because we've been married for 28 years. She's still with me. And we seem to be getting along better as the years pass, not worse. So, um, but if, you, if, if someone said, prove to me that your wife loves me or loves you, um, it'd be hard for me to come up with like concrete evidence. And I think uh, when it comes to your belief system, and this is true whether we're talking about Christians and their belief system or any person in the world, every person in the world has a belief system. And every belief system is a matter of confidence. It's not a matter of certainty. That's really important. In that sense, every person in the world has faith. So atheists they tend to have faith in people that they think are very well studied and, and convincing, make convincing arguments for naturalism, evolution, uh, and how this could all come from nothing, how something could come from, from nothing. They're, they're, it isn't that they've personally studied and done the research. They have confidence in spokespeople who are very persuasive, and they put their faith in those people. So, so in the same way, I think we should know the history of the Bible. We should know the Bible itself. Because the more you get to know the book and where it came from, your confidence is going to go up. Like, even if you cannot provide, like, concrete proof for people. I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes sense, but... <laughs> it's kind of like um, in a court case... You know, people give testimony, people provide evidence. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we watch TV shows or movies and a court case happens and um, it's kind of like a few good men, right? Uh, the lawyer has to get the person to sort of come clean on the stand in order, and then it's obvious, like, oh, he's guilty. He actually said that he was, so he's guilty. Or like there's some sort of smoking gun, some, some evidence is presented that is like beyond the shadow of a doubt, wow, yep, slam dunk case. Most court cases, that is not how it works. Most court cases, evidence is presented on both sides. And then the jury has to make the best decision that they can make based on the evidence, okay? And that's like a, that, that's an example of all of life. All of us are trying to assemble the evidence and make the best informed decision that we have the most confidence in. And I think Christianity, when you study it and you look into it, it's got the best evidence. Right? It's obviously, 
it's obviously such that people could look at that same evidence and reject it. So when someone says, you've got to give me total evidence that is beyond the shadow of a doubt, well, um, I don't think God gives us that. <laughs> I think God gives us what we need if, if we want to find him. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. Yeah, Will. Um, Andrew, thanks for sharing. What would be some, I think we have four questions, which is great, but if you were to say you are or you met someone who you think has been seeking the Lord, maybe not wholeheartedly, maybe like seeking God but not seeking Jesus, I guess what would be some uh, starting points you guess for someone to say, is, hey, or like a response, if they did this, and this is awesome, I want to do that, yeah. where do I start? Like, how do I do that? Right. Well, some of the people that held their hands up at the beginning, I would find one of those people. Like if you saw someone that held their hand up, um, that's someone who's been able to read through the Bible for themselves. So I would definitely try to connect with someone who's already done it, someone who's already doing it, um, and find out like how, how do you do it? Like how, how can you stay consistent? How do you not get distracted or off track? Um, and then I would start with like one step, right? So... The, the road to completing the marathon is like running the first half mile. Um, and so the road to becoming someone who is building their life on the Bible, I would say read the Gospel of Mark um, over the next two weeks because it's 16 chapters, so you can read the, that whole book. It's the life and teachings of Jesus, so it's, it's the full and final revelation of God, and that's, that's a good starting point. And then what I like to do is, uh, in the front of my Bible, I will, uh, I will write uh, a start date. So you could write this tonight. Tonight, I'm going to start reading through the Bible. And, um, and then as I read each book and the table of contents, I just like put a little mark beside it. And that way I know the books that I have read. So read Mark, like put a date, read Mark. And then when you read it, put a little mark besides Mark. And... Um, Go to the next book. That's what I would say. Start small. Yes. So in that analogy, no. The, those, are piece, those are pieces that, for whatever reason, God has not made it clear. Like, that's just a missing piece. But he's given us the pieces around it. So you can get a, a pretty good idea. All right. Well, let me uh, wrap it up there so we don't eat into the uh, small group time. Do you want me to pray, Nate, or do you want to come back up? Yeah, go ahead and pray, and then I'll just kind of dismiss everybody. All right. Lord, thank you that you are alive today, and you're alert. When we pray to you, you hear these prayers, you see our lives, both this community and fellowship, but our individual lives and what happens throughout the rest of the week. Um, Lord, I, I thank you that you've created us to seek you. And I pray that you would help us to seek you with all of our hearts so that we might find you. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and especially you revealed yourself through your son Jesus in the scriptures. So help us to become good students and to, uh, to build our life I pray for each person in this room, Lord, that each of us would, from this day forward, take serious building our lives on the Bible and seeking you. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you.